Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2012. Dealing with Paul's Epistles to the Thessalonians, it's brought to you by Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 2, July 7-13, to 13, Preserving Relationships. Sabbath afternoon, July 7. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message that Paul brings to us, that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, and that there is a place for each of us in heaven through the grace that so freely comes from your throne. We pray that as we study the book of Thessalonians this week, that your Holy Spirit will be here to guide each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text for today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. Let's read that again. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And our key thought for this week is, true evangelism leads to relationships that can stand the test of time and last for eternity. Paul held a three-week series of evangelistic meetings in Thessalonica. It was a very exciting series, but it incited opposition from local religious leaders and from a gang of thugs. Paul was finally expelled by the city council, which also sought to prevent his return. This lesson uncovers the aftermath of Paul's attempt to evangelize Thessalonica. It would have been easy after such an experience for Paul to focus on the opposition and on other obstacles along the way. Instead, Paul's mind was focused primarily on the relationships that he had developed with members of the new Christian community in Thessalonica. Paul was broken-hearted that he wasn't able to spend more time with the believers. He knew that the short time he had been with them would leave them vulnerable to discouragement and negative influences. Not being able to be there in person, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write letters to them instead. Those letters make up the books in the New Testament known as Thessalonians. Sunday, July 8, Opposition in Thessalonica Question. Read Acts chapter 17, verses 5 to 9. According to this passage, what was the primary motivation for the opposition to Paul's message? What statements did his opponents make to get the city authorities interested in the case? How did those authorities respond? Let's read Acts 17, verses 5 to 9. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. 
But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Jason has harboured them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So, when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. When someone preaches new teachings and people get excited, the leaders and teachers of other religious groups may become jealous. Attention that was once placed upon them is now directed to others. As a result, they may behave in irrational ways in order to try to reduce the influence of the new teacher. According to the Roman historian Suetonius, shortly before the events occurred or described in Acts 17, conflict arose among the Jews of Rome over a man, Suetonius, called Crestus. This term probably reflects a Roman misunderstanding of the Jewish concept of the Messiah, or in Greek, the Christ. Apparently, someone's preaching of the gospel had just split the Jewish community of Rome. To Roman officials, debate over the Messiah sounded like preparation for the installation of a new king on the throne of Rome. Probably, for that reason, the emperor expelled all Jews from his capital in Acts 18. Some of these exiles settled in or passed through Thessalonica, bringing knowledge of these events to the city. Because the gospel had turned the world of Rome's Jews upside down, religious leaders in Thessalonica were determined to prevent something similar from happening there. Thessalonica itself was ruled by a city council of perhaps five or six mayors who made decisions as a group. This arrangement allowed for a considerable amount of independence from Rome, which they would be loath to give up. So, the behaviour of the city officials in this matter was quite impressive under the circumstances. The similarity to events or recent events in Rome could have led to severe physical punishment for the new Christians. Instead, the city leaders responded even-handedly. They took a significant amount of money from the new Christians as security so that they would not be the cause of further disturbances. Then the leaders let everyone go. So to finish today, jealousy and envy can destroy us. What can we learn from the life and teachings of Jesus that can help us to gain victory over these deadly sentiments? Monday, July 9, the episode in Berea. Persecution can be a two-way street. It is often provoked by malicious slander against those who have done nothing wrong, but it can also be provoked by inappropriate actions on the part of believers. It is very likely that the disturbance in Thessalonica was prompted not only by the jealousy of Paul's opponents, but also by the inappropriate actions of the new believers. The two letters to the Thessalonians reveal that Paul had major concerns about the lack of appropriate public behaviour by some in the church. 
Paul urges the Thessalonican Christians to live quiet lives and behave properly among their Gentile neighbours in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. He admonishes the unruly among them in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. He commands them to avoid those in the community who were disorderly in 2 Thessalonians 3.6 and 7. And he notes that some members of the church are not only disorderly and idle, but have become busybodies in 2 Thessalonians 3.11. Thus, some members were not only troublesome to the church, but also to the wider community. The persecution in Thessalonica was malicious, but there was blameworthy behaviour among some new Christians as well. Question. How was Paul's experience in Berea different from that in Thessalonica? See Acts 17 verses 10 to 15. What's the message for us in that difference. Let's read those verses, Acts seventeen ten to 15. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. The Bereans were eager to know more about God and to better understand their Bibles. But while they listened with some openness, they also tested everything they heard from the apostles on the basis of what they found in their own study of the Old Testament. This is an example for us. We can be open to new ideas, but we must always test these ideas on the basis of the teachings of the Bible. We have many things to learn and many to unlearn. At the same time, we must be careful to avoid error, as it will lead us away from the truth. While troublemakers from Thessalonica soon inserted themselves into the Berean situation, the Jews there did not close their minds to the new message. Instead, many of the Jews believed, as it says in verse 12. While it was thought expedient for Paul to move on to Athens, Silas and Timothy were allowed to remain in Berea in order to encourage and strengthen the new believers. So, to finish the day, what are some examples of the Christian church acting in ways that were clearly in the wrong? What lessons can we learn from those mistakes? Bring your answers to class on Sabbath. Tuesday, July 10, Interlude in Athens. According to Acts 17, verses 14 to 16, Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea while Paul was escorted to Athens. Paul instructed his escorts to have Silas and Timothy join him in Athens, but there is no mention of their doing so. 
On the other hand, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2, we learn that Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica from Athens. So, Timothy at least seems to have joined him there for a short time. Question. When speaking to Jews in Acts 17, verses 2 and 3, Paul begins with the theme of the Messiah in the Old Testament. When speaking to the pagan philosophers at Athens... In Acts 17, verses 16 to 34, where does he begin? What can we learn from these different approaches? Well, first of all, when Paul was speaking to the Jews in Acts 17, verses 2 and 3, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And then when he's talking to the philosophers in Athens, verses 16 to 34. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and men's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead." And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them were Dionysius and Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, 
and others with them. Paul does not simply enter Athens, march up to the Areopagus, known also as Mars Hill, and engage the philosophers there. He begins by spending some time walking around and making his own observations. He also engages the Jews of Athens and some of the Greeks in the synagogue there. Besides evangelizing to them in his customary way, he also would have been learning about the dominant culture in the city. The first step in any missionary effort is to listen and learn about the faith and world views of the people you're trying to reach. Paul also spent time in the marketplace of Athens, which was below and within sight of the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, reasoning with anyone willing to talk with him. In the process, he provoked the curiosity of some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who invited him to address them in the traditional place for such discussions. He began his address to the intellectuals of Athens with observations about their city and religions. His theological beginning point was creation, a topic in which both he and they were interested. In contrast with his approach to the synagogue, he did not argue his case from scripture, but from writings with which they would have been familiar. Acts 17, 27 and 28 both echo and quote Greek writers. But when he stepped into territory that went beyond the boundaries of topics where they were intellectually comfortable, the philosophers seemed to have abruptly ended this discussion. A few individuals, however, continued to talk with Paul and became believers. So to finish today, how well do we understand the world views and religious beliefs of those around us? Why is it important for us to have at least some knowledge of these things as we seek to witness? Wednesday, July 11, Arrival in Corinth Acts 18, verses 1 to 18, contains two major intersections with secular history. The first is the expulsion of the Jews from Rome during the reign of Claudius. Information from extra-biblical sources locates this event in AD 49. The other major intersection is the mention of the proconsul Gallio in Acts 18.12. Because proconsuls in Corinth were appointed for one-year terms, information from inscriptions and other data accurately dates Gallio's term of office to AD 50-51. to Critical scholars often doubt the historicity of the book of Acts, but there are many casual references such as these that confirm its portrayal of history. Timothy must have travelled from Thessalonica to Berea with Paul and Silas, as recorded in Acts 17, after their expulsion from Thessalonica. He then briefly joined Paul in Athens and was sent from there to Thessalonica. There he joined up with Silas and eventually journeyed to meet Paul in Corinth. First, Thessalonians must have been written from Corinth shortly after Timothy's arrival. Paul knew what people were thinking in Achaia, where Corinth was located, and in 1 Thessalonians he was responding to information brought to him by Timothy. Question. 
Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to chapter 2, verse 2. What's Paul's main point in this passage? What do we learn from these verses about Paul's missionary strategies in Athens and Corinth? 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 2, 2. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul must not have been satisfied with the outcome of his encounter with the philosophers of Athens, for in Corinth he decides to take a more direct approach to the Greek mind. In doing so, he does not reject the idea of meeting people where they are, for he clearly promotes such an approach in the same letter in 1 Corinthians 9. What he demonstrates in Athens and Corinth is that the process of meeting people where they are is not an exact science. It requires constant learning and adjustment. Paul did not take the same approach in every city. He was very sensitive to changing times, cultures and circumstances. And so, to finish today, read again the passages for today. How is the main message there relevant for us today? when the wisdom of the world is so often clashing with the foolishness of the cross. Thursday, July 12, Paul reveals his heart. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 to chapter 3, verse 10. What does this passage tell us about Paul's emotional attachment and relationship to these believers? 
what can we learn from it regarding the ways in which we should relate with those to whom we minister? Well, let's begin with 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence not in heart, endeavoured more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, old joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow labourer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labour might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Paul's depth of thought and confrontational tone in Galatians, sometimes makes him appear dismissive of feelings and personal relationships. But this delightful interlude in First Thessalonians shows otherwise. Let's look at Paul's dismissive tone in Galatians 1 and verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not open the truth, not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have laboured for you in vain. He was an intensely relational evangelist along the lines of the Great Commission, which places primary emphasis on the making of disciples in Matthew chapter 28. In the above passage, Paul reveals his inner emotions. He misses the Thessalonian believers with intense longing. 
When Jesus comes, Paul intends to present the Thessalonian believers to Jesus as examples of his ministry. Paul is not content merely to be saved at the end of time. He wants evidence that his life made a permanent difference for the kingdom of God. When Paul can no longer endure his intense longing for the Thessalonians, he sends a mutual friend to learn how they are doing. Paul is afraid that somehow Satan might lure them away from their original convictions, but he is comforted tremendously when Timothy reports that they are standing firm in the faith. There is the interesting hint of a deepest dynamic in 1 Thessalonians 3.6. Paul rejoices at Timothy's report that they have a good opinion of him and that they are longing to see him as much as he is longing to see them. Paul's departure from Thessalonica was sudden, and he seems to have some uncertainty about the ways in which they viewed him and his absence. Thessalonian faithfulness made a big difference to Paul. Paul's sense of personal worth was perhaps to some degree tied to the success of his mission. He was, after all, only human. Timothy's report brings Paul an intense experience of joy in his prayers to God. But his present joy does not squelch his intense longing to see them face to face and to complete their education in the Christian walk. However, unable to be personally present with them, Paul first sends an emissary, Timothy, and then engages the Thessalonians by letter. Those letters make up part of the New Testament corpus. Friday, July 13. If we would humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful, there would be 100 conversions to the truth, where now there is only one. But, though professing to be converted, we carry around with us a bundle of self that we regard as altogether too precious to be given up. It is our privilege to lay this burden at the feet of Christ and in its place take the character and similitude of Christ. The Saviour is waiting for us to do this. That's from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 189 and 190. From the same author, The Acts of the Apostles, page 32. During his ministry, Jesus had kept constantly before the disciples the fact that they were to be one with him in his work for the recovery of the world from the slavery of sin. In all his work, he was training them for individual labor to be extended as their numbers increased and eventually to reach to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Discuss your answer to Monday's final question. How can we avoid making the same kind of mistakes, or are we in some cases making them even now? 2. In Testimonies to the Church, Volume 9, page 189, Ellen White identifies self as the barrier to both a more powerful outreach and more conversions among the lost. In what ways does self manifest itself in our lives? How can we learn to die to self? What is the only true way to be able to do that? 3. 
The central focus of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, is to make disciples. Share some of your own experiences of being or making a disciple. To what degree is your own church discipleship orientated? How can it become more so? 4. How can you explain to someone the foolishness of the cross? Why do you think Paul used that terminology? What should that tell us about how limited our understanding of reality can be when the most important of all truths is deemed foolishness by many? And to summarise this week's lesson, in a mere three weeks, Paul had become intensely bonded to the new believers in Thessalonica. Not being able to return to them, he first sent Timothy. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, he also put his heart into two letters. Meaningful evangelism must not settle for mere acceptance of Christian beliefs. The whole life, physical, mental and emotional, is involved in Christian faith. And now for Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled Lighthouse on the Island. Laura and Paulo lived in town on the island of Madeira in the Mediterranean Sea. Paulo had once been a Seventh-day Adventist, but he had stopped attending church before he married. However, he often read from the Acts of the Apostles, a book he treasured. One day, a Seventh-day Adventist pastor visited them. Laura and Paulo were pleased, and the pastor continued visiting every week, even though the roads were treacherous and no other Seventh-day Adventists lived nearby. The family began attending the only church on the island. They made the four-hour trip by bus, often arriving late if there was any delay. They stayed for afternoon meetings, arriving home late at night. Nine months later, they were baptised. Not everyone in the community was happy that Laura had left her church to become a Seventh-day Adventist. Sometimes the family returned home from church to find windows broken. Other people stopped doing business with Paulo, a tailor. When his business dropped off, Paulo found other ways to make a little money to support his family. The family couldn't afford to take the bus to the distant church every week, so they went only once a month. On the Sabbaths, when they stayed home, they sang songs and read the Sabbath school lessons to their children. They invited friends to join them, but no one was interested. The couple's children have faced a lot of prejudice in school for refusing to eat unclean food and for keeping the Sabbath. But they've remained faithful. Their son Fernando shared his faith with a girl he liked, and she became a Seventh-day Adventist. Her father told her to leave home and refused to speak to her for seven years, or attend her wedding. But she visited him when he became sick, and at last the two were reconciled. Now her father thinks Fernando is the best son-in-law in the world. Now that the roads on the island of Madeira have been improved, a group of Adventists from the church in the capital city drives to Porto Muniz to worship with Paulo and Laura. The family continues to invite their neighbours to join them, but the family remains the only Seventh-day Adventists in town. We will continue to share our faith with anyone who will listen, Laura says, and we invite our friends to join us for worship. We just want to break down prejudice and invite people to meet Jesus. Our mission offerings help provide materials to isolated members so they can share their faith with others. Thank you for sharing. 
This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful. Thank you.